Views and opinions expressed on this program are those solely of its speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of WMUA, its management board, or the board of trustees of the University of Massachusetts. For WMUA News, I'm Bonnie Chen. In the third installment of our pandemic series 2.0, we have stories of learning and schooling during the pandemic. From a special education teacher adapting to teaching under COVID restrictions to the benefits of arts therapy. We have all that and more, so stick with us. In the words of a mortal Wu-Tang Clan member, inspect the deck, life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough. As the case for Northampton Public School students, transported into the world of virtual learning, packed in Brady Bunch style Zoom calls, unmotivated and deprived of in-person socialization. I personally don't really like the online. Jackson Street Elementary School kindergarten teacher, Maria Garcia speaks to the ills of online learning. For my age group, because I teach kindergarten, it's really hard. It's kind of like we're asking them to sit still and look at a screen. Children talking over one another, getting distracted by objects in their room, and not proficiently issuing commands with a mouse and keyboard are common problems Garcia faces in the classroom. And if we were at school, it wouldn't be a problem, but on the screen, it's like really, okay, now I gotta mute everybody to hear this one child. And plus I, you know, you can't help children through the screen. Garcia spoke to the inequalities present in virtual learning. Some households are able to provide greater means of support than others. Because I do think it's unfair. Like some children have a nanny who's sitting there with them doing things with them, you know, and some children are like, I, I don't have the cards, I don't have a pencil, I don't have, you know. So it's really not fair because it's not like they're all being given the same opportunities. Garcia says single parent households have a much more difficult time operating in the virtual space. Virtual learning has left Northampton's single mother of three, Jamie Guerin, distressed. On a daily basis, Guerin ensures her first grade boy won't get distracted by his new emotional support dog while virtually learning in their living room. She also has to remind her 8th grade son, who was constantly tempted to turn on his PlayStation 4 in his room, that video games can only be played after class. All while transporting her high school daughter back and forth from a friend's house that she now uses as a classroom. It would be three kids on three separate schedules. Two of them are not good with independent um, learning. I have to really keep them on track. And their schedules are completely different. It's not like we can go, you know, do our classes and then take eat lunch and go for a walk and then go back. You know, it's all different times of the day. Her seven-year-old elementary schooler, Chani, has had the most trouble with virtual learning. And if they don't remember, which a seven-year-old can't, really remember, you know, oh, it's, oh, I gotta look at the clock, it's this time, I need to be on a class, I need to find the login information and log on. Kieran now wears many hats, caretaker, provider, and now teacher's assistant. 
You know, kids are very adaptable, which is great. Um, adults, not so much, especially when you're struggling to maintain your life and not lose your home and your car and your, <laughs> you know, all these things, you know. Guerin has integrated her children's school schedule into her everyday routine, leaving her with very little personal time for grocery shopping, watching Netflix, and attending her medical appointments. There, at one point, I was going to um, medical appointments two times a week. I have to have the older one responsible for the little one while he's trying to go to school. She also has concerns regarding the social aspect. I think they are learning something a little bit, but I think missing out on a lot of other things about being a human at that age that this type of learning isn't going to give them. Guerin just wants a little more stability for her family. Because we know that when kids have that stability and when families have that stability and that solid ground to stand on that's when they're able to thrive especially families like mine that are low income single parent disabled you know we we find it very hard to have that stability to begin with you know so you're shaking an already shaky ground jackson street elementary school invited its students back on April 5th. Maria Garcia is actively preparing for a safe and socially distanced transition to in-person learning. Nobody is allowed in the school building other than teachers. Garcia's goal is to keep her students outside as much as possible. I just set up a bunch of like tree stumps outside my classroom. Mm -hmm. We could do like, let's say our morning meeting outside or read a story outside and kids can just sit on those tree stumps. Jamie Guerin has opted to keep her children in the virtual learning space due to COVID concerns. Northampton schools plan to transition back to in-person learning by fall 2021. For WMUA News, I'm Tristan Smith. A special education teacher's job involves working one-on-one -on -one with students, which proved a difficult task, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic hit schools across the country in March 2020. Without my strength, and I actually made him go, Mm. Sounds like an it's interesting game. The pandemic continues to change classroom structures with additional distancing guidelines to keep teachers and students safe. Karen Alves teaches a third grade inclusion classroom at the Roselle McDonald in West Bridgewater, Massachusetts, consisting of both special and general education students. She ran a flexible classroom, meaning no desks. Alves says she had no desks in her classroom for the past five years to cater to her students' needs, having only couches, beanbags, and adjustable tables. My classroom is made up of kids with attention deficit disorders, autistic children, and so it can be difficult for them to have to sit and keep their distance from other students. The way she and her co-teacher gave students their individualized services has been hindered by the six-foot social distancing and moving online. They are unable to monitor the kids as they work on Zoom. We've struggled a lot with um, how to give these kids their special education services. It's very hard to help a kid virtually when you can't really see what they're doing. The students' ages play a major role in how well they handle being online in a classroom. Their ability to effectively teach cause challenges as virtual meetings make it harder to reach students with varying needs. Karen says students become distracted by online chat boxes, other family members at home, and their fellow students. 
A lot of times our students are in their bedroom where there's toys and video games, so there's a lot of distraction going on. The technology barriers like unstable Wi-Fi and access to a computer adds angst and stress for students and teachers learning to navigate new technologies. Training, you know, nine-year-olds to mute and unmute and how to use the camera, getting them to sit still was also a big problem that we ran into with the younger kids because they're not as independent. You can't just tell them, hey, you have a meeting at 10.30, make sure you're on. Mixed meetings caused issues across grade levels because behavioral and educational services are limited. Finding time with varying online schedules makes it difficult to implement their legally obligated services. And the truthful answer is a lot of it wasn't done because it's impossible. Many of the accommodations that might have happened in class in person were next to impossible and it caused a lot of anxiety for the teachers and the students. Mary Alves, a ninth and 10th grade special education teacher at Southeastern Regional Vocational High School, taught for 34 years in inclusion classrooms. She says the pandemic made it more difficult to effectively reach students in her class and those she liaisons. She made sure these student services were being provided throughout all of high school, yet being online made forging relationships with her students difficult. If you don't have relationships with the kids and with their parents, then a lot of it doesn't go well, especially if they have high needs. And um, being taught math like that and then go do it yourself without the human element is really, really difficult. Technology barriers get in the way of these new styles of learning. When schools began limited reopening with distancing guidelines, they created a new challenge in access to technology. No one could share pens, pencils, or have hard copies of work to turn in. I'll have to be honest with you. Many of the students coped better than I did. That's for darn sure. And technology is not my greatest strength. I was not born with a mouse in my hand, and I felt that I was not giving them what they needed on top of being threatened by the, the um, COVID itself. The changing plans and health scares within the school buildings caused angst for teachers and their families. Brianna Alexander, Mary's granddaughter, found it hard during school. I was really nervous to come back into school in September knowing she was going into her classroom. I was there with her during all of her medical issues, so it was pretty anxiety crippling when I came back. After 34 years in the special education department, Mary Alves retired at the end of December 2020. The changes to the structure of the school and the constant new cases of COVID in her building caused too much angst in her working life given medical issues she faced in 2020. It was just a constant, constant stressful situation. So I was um, very vulnerable and decided I needed to make the change and transition out. She felt unable to do her job to the best of her ability because of the pandemic's challenges. For WMUA News, I'm Brianna Alexander. We have more coming up. Stay tuned. In the small town of Abington, Massachusetts, my mother, Julie Colley, works at St. Bridget's School. The COVID-19 pandemic caused consequences for not only my mother, but her 26 first grade students. The pandemic challenges the six and seven year olds in Julie's classroom and their abilities to grow to their full capacities. We're gonna obviously begin with the days of the week. Ready? How many days are in a week? Dolan? How many days? In, in one week, there are 12 days in one week? 
Julie Colley, a first grade teacher in Abington, experienced the struggles that many schools throughout the country faced during the pandemic. Being my mother, I firsthand experienced her transition from struggling to succeeding with online teaching. The transition from teaching in person to teaching six and seven year old children over a computer screen challenged both her and her 26 students. My mother never wants to see her students struggle, but the transition to online learning damages her students' abilities to focus on their schoolwork. In order to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the school system after winter breaks, St. Bridget's, where Julie Colley teaches at, had a two-week period of remote learning before transitioning back to in-person. It's noticeable the students are unfocused and struggle to get back on track after being home for breaks. Julie designs creative ways to combat this and engage the young minds of her first graders. I struggled a lot with the transition at first. My students were not old enough to use the computer on their own, so there was a lot of parent involvement, which was not really my cup of tea. The parents themselves did not respect the process and would feed their kids during the middle of class, which was really distracting to not only me, but the other students. It was not a conducive learning environment. Molly Dunham is currently a junior in college and elementary education major. Recently, she's had a lot of experience surrounding the pandemic and teaching. Her first experiences as a student teacher and observing a classroom has been done all remote. It has been an interesting and challenging experience for her. Um, I just feel like I don't have a very strong connection with any of the children. I mean, it's kind of hard to, and the only way you can talk to them is over a computer. Emily Brooks is a substitute teacher in the North Reading, Massachusetts school system. She works the most at the elementary school and witnessed the way the students struggle socially. Children doing in-person learning at their schools interact little with the other students. This past January during break, um, it was the weirdest thing ever. I felt so awful for the kids. We did gym class outside. They all wanted to hang out and play with their friends, but they couldn't even do that. They weren't even allowed to go near each other. And during lunch, they each had their own table and they could barely talk to one another. Emily watched the social aspect of school completely taken away from the children due to the pandemic. The lack of interaction between children can significantly impact their growth along with their social and emotional development. It felt surreal walking around the school and seeing all those little kids with their masks on and trying to walk socially distanced in their lines. The teachers were stressed and the kids were definitely struggling socially. And now for our month of the year. How many months are in a year, Nolan? Well, there's where our 12 comes into play. So there are 12 months in a year, and we're going to think about them. My mother struggled to adjust to teaching in a pandemic, just like many other teachers in her shoes. Teachers who taught their students remote face the challenges of keeping their students engaged and focused while trying to make their lessons still enjoyable. Teaching in a pandemic sucked, to be honest. 
Seeing 20 other children on a computer screen was overstimulating for the first grade students. I had to keep them engaged and moving. I would make them get up and have dance breaks, do a lot of show and tell and interactive learning and drawing games on a computer, which they really enjoyed. For WMUA News, I'm Maggie Colley. Students from preschool to college have been forced to get their education over Zoom for over a year now. We often hear about the high school students forced to give up their prom and college students missing graduation, but what about the kids who have just barely started school? How is being forced to learn online affecting their developing brains, and how are their teachers making up for a lack of in-person expressive outlets? My friend Karen Brower is an expressive arts therapy major at Lesley University in Cambridge. This semester, she's interning remotely with a middle school art class at the Thomas Edison School in Brighton. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to art class. How's everyone doing? She's part of a movement for creative arts therapy in schools. Her professor at Leslie, Nancy Jo Cardillo, is a certified dance movement therapist and explained to me what exactly creative arts therapy is. Expressive arts therapy, dance movement therapy, and art therapy, drama therapy, music therapy, they all go under an umbrella called creative arts therapy. Um, unique to expressive arts therapy is it combines all of the modalities. So a practitioner, a therapist in expressive arts therapy may work with the client and move from visual art and then take the art off the page and take it into movement and then maybe into writing. So they're open to working with creative process um, as healing. Brower's work at the Edison School falls into the category of art therapy. She works alongside her supervisor to help kids express their feelings and emotions through art. A lot of the lessons do focus on, uh, you know, emotional learning or social learning. So we did an exercise like doodling for your mental health, where all the kids chose a word that they were feeling. Um, a lot of kids did like bored or confused or like tired, and then they just doodled around it and got to kind of put their feelings out in the paper, but without the pressure of having to sit up straight in front of the camera and show that they're paying attention. She's only worked with the Edison School kids remotely, but she says having a creative outlet during the day allows kids to express themselves in a healthy way when they might not have the words. Kids often don't have, you know, the words or the ability to recognize what they're feeling, um, how we would as adults with full developed brains, you know. <laughs> but, you know, a kid might not want to sit down with me and say, you know, my parents are fighting and it's having an effect on me, but they can sit down and they can draw about it. Brower says her work in the Zoom classroom also helps the kids feel recognized for their work and connected to the class during online sessions. And I think that's like what's so great about me being there as an intern is, you know, a kid will private message me in the Zoom chat and be like, hey, can we like go to a breakout room and we'll go to a breakout room and they'll be like, look what I drew. And, you know, that just gives them a chance to show someone what they're working on and get some feedback, um, which they're not getting um, through online learning that often because my supervisor is one person and she can't focus on, you know, 20 kids online and be like, oh, good job, good job, good job. But I can. Expressive art therapy is a great tool for students who might be struggling to find a creative outlet over Zoom, but the same methods also help in-person students. Kay Park is a grad student pursuing her master's in dance movement therapy at Leslie. This semester, she is interning at Community Therapeutic Day School in Lexington. She works in person with students with emotional and neurologic difficulties that interfere with their learning and prevent them from attending typical school programs. The kids that I'm currently working with, 
they are nine to 11 years old, but cognitively they're more like toddlers. So they know how, they don't know how to express themselves like in a healthy way. Park uses dance movement therapy called DMT with her in-person students. She grounds them with physical exercises and mind-body connections when they feel overwhelmed or frustrated. Yesterday, a kid at my site had a really big feeling. He had a really big outbreak. So I have to take two girls out from the classroom because we need to freshen up the air. And a kid, she doesn't want to do anything at park. She just wanted to like get got really small and herself, she was like a little ball. So I told her like, let's be on the swing. And then I tried to like push them on the swing and then all of a sudden she got like so much better and happier. I think DMT, it's all about mind and body connection. So I kind of pulled her up, like let's move around to make you feel better. Through their work with expressive arts therapy strategies, Brower and Park help kids who often get overlooked get through what is now their second year of online school. Until we can return to in-person learning full-time, expressive arts therapy is an invaluable resource for kids without other creative outlets. For WMUA News, I'm Anna Petrowitz.